Proverbs chapter 27, finally, finally, I, I tell you, I'll be honest, I had to think a while where in the world we left off in, in our uh, in our study of Proverbs. And uh, as it turned out, we, uh, we just looked at the first verse. Uh, does that sound right to everybody? Yeah, Proverbs 27, verse number 1. And... Uh, that's as far as we got. Well, tonight we're going to get a little further than that. Uh, I think I can promise you that. But uh, uh, whenever I began, I said this chapter, the entire chapter, could be divided up into three important areas of life. And, uh, and, and that's what I've done. The first section, which only goes through verse number four, actually, which is as far as we'll try to go tonight, deals with our attitudes, and then verse number 5 on through verse number 17, that all deals with the matter of our associates, uh, people that, you know, that we uh, communicate with and so forth, and the crowd we run with. And then picking up in verse 18, it has to do with avocation from there on, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Now, in this first section that has to do with our attitudes, we've already We've already looked at one. There's a total of four. The first one in verse number one had to do with presumption. And then we look back at that verse, and I mentioned three things that all tie together. There's presumption, and then there is procrastination that ties right in that. Because, you know, we presume that we're going to, you know, live till tomorrow or next week, uh, Right? I mean, we, we presume we've got a little more time, and so what do we do? We procrastinate. And then I ended up in studying that first verse, talking about the fact that something that's often overlooked in this is the matter of pleasure also. Notice how it ends, Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And we talked about that from the negative connotation. We don't know what a day's going to bring forth, so we better not procrastinate. We better get it done. Bev's a lot better at that than I am. She believes in if there's a job doing, get it done right now. And and uh, I, the older I get, the more I uh, the more I begin to procrastinate and just wait till tomorrow or something. And that's a bad habit to get into. But the fact of the matter is, when since we don't know what a day may bring forth, uh, as Christian people, we have just as much right to anticipate something good as we do something bad, right? So we've got to be sure that we don't focus all of our attention on the bad things because there's more than enough good things that we can that we can look at. And believe me, it's a lot more pleasant to live with your focus on the good than it is on the bad. Now tonight, in verse 2, 3, and 4, we see three other attitudes. There's pride, there's anger, and envy. And we're going to look at each one of those tonight, beginning in verse 2 with the attitude of pride. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. So this is a warning concerning self-exaltation. Uh, 
And boy, I tell you, you go through the Bible and it is amazing how much of the Bible deals with this subject of pride. I mean, I can't think of anything more common. And there's a reason for that because you go all the way back to, to the time whenever Lucifer was kicked out of heaven as a result of his pride, you know. He wanted to take God's place. He was lifted up with pride because of his beauty. So it's only natural to, for us to, to believe that, you know, uh, that maybe the primary sin, the root of all of our other sins has to do with this matter of pride. And it is so common, but it is also extremely harmful, more than we could ever know. And believe me, we could spend at least an hour or more and not even begin to cover all of the verses that relate to the harmfulness of pride. Only by pride comes contention. Just that one verse alone tells us that the entire atmosphere of the church and our homes and society in general would be changed if we could get rid of pride. Now, notice here that we are uh, to let another person praise us rather than ourselves. Now, certainly we are to do that which is commendable. In other words, we're to live in such a way that make it easy for other people to commend us on what we've done. And that's all well and good, but uh, uh, we got to be careful that we don't do it in order to be seen. In other words, we want our works to be seen, but we don't want to be seen. The Bible tells us that we're to, you know, let our light shine, right? That others might see what? Your good works and do what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven, you see. So we are to live in such a way that others can see what we're doing. They see the good that we're doing, but we don't want to ever fall into that trap of doing it so we will be seen. Because when we do it out of pride, when we do it for attention... Uh, the only reward we get out of it is the praise of man. That's what the Lord told, you know, the Pharisees, that the only reward they had was the praise of man because they did those things just to be seen. They loved to put their religion on display. My, they'd get out on the street corner in their long robes, and I mean, they just made a big show out of their religion, and the Lord warned them about that. You'll remember he told them even whenever you pray, go into your closet. You know, you don't have to be out here on the street corner and, you know, loud enough that everybody can hear you. Get alone with the Father. And, and, and so we've got to be careful that we don't, that we don't fall into that trap because he forbids self-praise. And, and, and this is where it really gets personal to each and every one of us. Someone, someone wrote many years ago, said self-boasting is always a source of weakness as well as a revelation of vanity. In vanity, there is no substance. It is idle breath and a foolish vapor. Well, that's right, and yet there's something about something about uh, our old sinful nature that wants to push ourselves to the forefront. 
And, and we see it all the time. A lot of times we're guilty of it and we don't, you know, we don't even really intend for it to happen. But before we know it, we're bragging about something that we can do or something that we have done. You know, somebody caught a big fish. Well, we caught one bigger than that. You know, uh, you know, they, they killed an eight point buck or we killed a 12 point buck. And we've always got to let be known that we outdid them. And it's just foolish pride on our part. Going back to that verse where he says, let, that's a very important word, let your light shine. He doesn't say, make your light shine. And believe me, there's a big difference in letting it shine and trying to make it shine. I think you know what I mean. Preachers are sometimes guilty of that, trying to, make their light to shine instead of just letting it shine. Uh, I, I, I was talking the other day about a certain place, and uh, and I, I won't regress and get all back into that again, but it's amazing what I've seen over the years, even in some Baptist churches, where they turn the service into into some sort of a show of some kind and and it is so obvious that that at least was to me that that there wasn't no real sincerity in it the only thing was is people trying to outdo other people and that's a trap anyone can fall into it's especially with those that are uh, that are, let's say, gifted musically. I mean, that somebody that can sing well or play an instrument well. Boy, it is so easy to fall into that trap of comparing yourself with with somebody else and what have you. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are to do the best we can with what we've got, and God rewards us on the basis of of our faithfulness not on the basis of whether we can do it better than somebody else, you know. And it's a shame for people sometimes to bring shame upon themselves by trying to make something out of themselves. You know, if there's something really special about a person, all they've got to do is just do what they do and people will take notice out of it. They don't have to call your attention to, to how well they did it, you see. And when they do that, uh, it, it is repulsive to, to other people. I, nobody, nobody wants to be around somebody that's a braggart that's all the time boasting about uh, uh, what they've done. Now, listen carefully. If others praise you, appreciate that appreciate their kindness there's not anything wrong with that uh somebody says boy maybe they're talking to brother and i I so enjoyed that song the other day it was such a blessing uh to me you don't need to feel bad about feeling good because someone commended you that's all well and good that that's fine but you know we ought to be thankful that that people don't know everything about us now think about that for a little while you know be grateful for the things they appreciate and be thankful for what they don't know about us because you know it's one thing for people to praise us just based on what we did and what they know but let's be honest 
If people knew everything about us, every thought we have, every deed we do, every word we speak, they knew absolutely everything about us, uh, it'd be pretty hard to muster up any praise for, you know, whenever we're like that. And uh, so it goes right back to this matter of pride. When you get right down to it, there are none of us that have anything to be proud of other than Jesus. You know, that's why, you know, Paul said, God forbid that I should boast, save in what? The cross. So that's the only thing I've got to brag about is just the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. So uh, there's a reason why that we talk about revival starting with humility. Remember there in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. But it all starts with an attitude of humility. And we'll never be the kind of person that we ought to be as long as pride is reigning supreme in our life. Uh, it'll, It'll ruin a person's testimony. It'll ruin the harmony in the home. It'll, it'll ruin the, uh, uh, the fellowship in the church. It's destructive everywhere it is. It's an attitude that needs to go. But that's not the only bad attitude. Look at verse number three. He speaks now about the attitude of anger. He says, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Now, here's another subject we can talk about at great length because the Bible has a lot to say about this matter of anger. And when we look at this verse, you could actually take this in two different ways. First of all, this could be implying that the that an angry fool is more difficult to tolerate uh, than a heavy burden. In, in other words... Being around someone that's always angry, you know, it would be much easier if you put a 50-pound sack of potatoes on your shoulder and tried to carry that around all day instead of being around somebody that's angry about everything because, let me tell you, that just wears you out. Remember the Bible, and of course, the context has to do with the with the wife, and he talks about being better to dwell on the housetop all by yourself, you know, than than down in the house with a brawling woman, and that he could have said a man. It doesn't make any difference uh, what the case might be. Just being around people that are always angry just makes life miserable. So you could take that verse this way, uh, that it's a heavier burden than stone or sand. But secondly... This application can also be made to the angry fool himself. In other words, his anger is a great weight or a great burden that he carries around. You know, he might, he might make others miserable, but the truth of the matter is he is probably more miserable than anybody else. He's unable to enjoy anything as long as he's angry. You know, you can have uh, more money in the bank than you've ever had. You can drive the finest car that you've ever had, live in a, live in a mansion, uh, everything going for you. But you get some burr under your saddle, 
and you get all bent out of shape over something and all of a sudden you can't enjoy anything you got because you're angry. And if we're not careful, uh, we'll be angry all the time because there's always something that we can look at that we don't like. I, I, I was thinking about this uh, earlier this morning. In fact, I wrote a little, little tidbit that I put on, uh, on Facebook in regards to Roy Moore, the, you know, uh, out in Alabama. But man, we, we live in a day where, you know, all you got to do is bring charges against somebody, you know, well, he did this or he did that. There's no proof. There's no evidence whatsoever. Now, certainly, you know, if he was guilty of doing those things, he, he, he ought to be punished for it. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, we're fools to think that people will not use this for political advantage. They'll use it out of anger. They'll use it for attention. And this one woman bringing those charges, her own stepson and her own mother both said, she's lying. It did not happen. And yet, man, all of the major networks got her plastered all over, made up like Tammy Faye Baker and tears streaming down her cheeks and what have you. Look, folks, I, I thought we lived in America where the system was that we're innocent until proven guilty. Now, I mention all of that for a reason. The more I thought about it, the more angry I got. And I'm telling you, every day, every minute of every day, you can find something to be angry about. And there sometimes you've got to look, you've got to walk away from it. You've got to, you've got to simply conclude that we live in a fallen world. It is what it is. We don't have to like it. We shouldn't like it, but it is what it is. And you and I cannot change it. We've just got to live here and do our best to win as many folks to Christ as we can. We can't go around angry at somebody all of the time. I mean, it's it's worse than trying to carry around a a, a heavy weight, and, uh, and you need if you're carrying that load around, you need to get rid of it, because you know we can look we can look at our own family members, and every family member you have, regardless of how much you love them, you can find something about them that would make you angry if you let it happen, and I'm telling you, it's a weight that's too heavy for you to carry. You need to lay it down. Now, verse number four, and this is the fourth attitude that he mentions, and it has to do with envy or jealousy, whichever word you want to use. And I say that because uh, this particular Hebrew word is translated actually more times jealousy than it is envy. But the close connection between the two, they're so closely related that we don't need to really spend any time trying to differentiate between the two. I I know we could make a distinction, but that's not really that important. Socrates said, Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of revenge, and, uh, and murder, the beginning of sedition, and perpetual tormentor of nature. Well, sounds about right to me. I mean, I'm sure we wouldn't agree with Socrates on everything, but I think he had that nailed down pretty good. 
And he was simply trying to let us know that it is a dangerous and destructive attitude. It's something that most of the time we just dismiss as being some kind of a minor little problem in our life. Just a minor character flaw when in reality it is a serious sin. We dismiss it so many times by talking about, yeah, I'm really a, you know, I'm really a jealous person. You know, somebody just happened to look the wrong way at my wife and I, well, I'm liable to go up and punch them in the nose and, and, uh, it, look, this thing can get out of hand. Jealousy is a good thing in some ways. God is a jealous God, by the way. Not anything wrong with jealousy in the proper sense. But it is a horrible thing. Envy and jealousy are terrible things whenever we, uh, whenever we relate it to the flesh. And so, uh, it is so destructive. We talk about that green-eyed monster, you know. And uh, if, we, if we're not careful with that, you know, somebody gets a, a new car and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're envious of what they've got and, uh, and here they, they might be rejoicing about it and we can't even be happy for them, you know. That, that's a horrible attitude to have. Now I know there are many other attitudes that, that the writer could have spoken about. But I'll tell you, when you look at those four and kind of put them together, just about everything else in some way relates to these four things. And the whole point of the message tonight has to do with the importance of us having the right attitude. We've talked about presumption and pride and anger and envy. And I think if we are really honest with ourselves, most of us would have to admit that at least in some one of those areas, to some degree, we need an attitude adjustment. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I find myself more angry than I ought to be. Or maybe I find myself, you know, covetous of something. And it happens to all of us. And we have to make these constant adjustments in our life in order to bring our attitude into proper alignment. Somebody said that a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere till you change it. And, and that's the way it is with a lot of people. You can probably think of people that have all of the talent in the world. They've got great ability. God could use them mightily, but they've got a stinking attitude. A horrible attitude. And it doesn't make any difference how much ability you've got or how many great opportunities you've got. Uh, it makes no difference if you've got a bad attitude. It'll run you quicker than anything. So let's assume that we're all going to be honest enough that we're going to look at at least one of these four things and admit, you know, I need some adjustment in that area of my life. Something needs to change in my life. And so we acknowledge the fact that a change needs to be made. Now comes the tough part. How do you do it? Because I'm telling you, there's been a lot of times in my life I've had, you know, I've had faults and failures in my life and things that 
you know, that I wanted to be different. There have been sometimes I wanted to forgive somebody for something, but at, at that moment, I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't find it within me to, to forgive them. I should have, but I didn't. I convinced others that I had, but I hadn't. There have even been times that I even convinced myself Oh, yeah, I, I forgave them. Yeah, I put all of that behind me. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. And I was just fooling myself. So we need to be really honest about this and, and realize when push comes to shove and there needs to be some adjustments made, then how do you do it? Because I'm telling you, sometimes some of these problems run so deep that you can't just grit your teeth, you know, and set your jaw and determine, I'm going to do it. Because we can't live our life by willpower. We're just not that strong. We need help. So what do we do? I want to give it to you in a nutshell. Here's what, and it's the same thing for all of us. It's not a different answer for some of us. It's the same for all of us. And that is we have to get our focus on God and on His attributes. In other words, we have to, we have to, as He said in Hebrews chapter 12, be looking unto Jesus, keeping our focus on Him. First of all, we, we, we must do that because we're commanded to do that. Whenever you get your eyes off the Lord, that is, if you're not looking unto Jesus each day, if you're not meditating upon Him, spending time with Him, let me tell you, you're backslidden. If you can let a day go by and not open your Bible and read God's Word and not have any time of prayer with the Lord and not give some meditation or thought as to how wonderful the Lord is, it's because you're backslidden. That might be a blow to your ego, but I'm telling you the truth. That's something that we ought to be doing continually, looking unto Jesus. And then verse 3 of that same chapter says, Consider Him. And it's by looking at the Lord and keeping our focus on Him, not only does that help us to see our faults, but it helps us to change our activities. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18 speaks about that where we're changed from glory unto glory. How does that happen? By beholding the Lord. And remember I mentioned, I think this Sunday, as beholding the Lord in a glass, that is as in, in a mirror, and you're looking at the Lord. And by beholding Him, He says, the Spirit changes us. He's the change agent. It's not that we change. We are changed, but we are changed as a result of our focus being on the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about how good He is and how great He is and so forth. And the more we focus on Him, and that's why I've said it a thousand times probably, the, the key to everything spiritual is for us to remember who we are and what we have as a result of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If I'm dead and gone and you don't remember anything else I've said, I hope you'll remember that. The key to everything spiritual is remembering who you are and what you have as a result of the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
because it makes a difference. It is the factor that changes our attitude. And, and when our attitude is right, it causes us to grow spiritually. It changes our character. It creates within us courage. It'll cheer your heart. It'll comfort your soul. It'll enable you to conquer temptation in your life. It'll calm your fears. And, and all of that comes as a result of the uh, of focusing on Him. It's like that old story about the Stone Mountain, the man that lived in Stone Mountain that he took on the facial features of the mountain, you know. And uh, we tend to do that. We We tend to, you know, take on the attitude of what it is that we're, focused on and keep your focus on Christ and and I'll guarantee you it'll change everything about you thank you for being here tonight and and uh and praying for uh for for these folks that have been mentioned anybody have a word before we leave something maybe we forgot about or